Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to Welcome to the Hellmouth. <laughs> no, um, I don't think I can call it Welcome to the Hellmouth because there's already a Welcome to the Hellmouth podcast. You're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? Um, and this is the Buffy recap version. Oh, shit. I need to create a tagline. So this is a podcast, this is a supplemental What's This Bitch Talking About podcast, in which the answer to watch this bit, What's This Bitch Talking About is Buffy! So um, today we're going to discuss the fifth episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is entitled Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Um, I'm going to start with, I think I'm going to start a new segment at the beginning where I talk about Buffy news, where um, it could just be, you know, like what's going on with um, actors from Buffy, uh, Comic-Con news, uh, what's going on in the comics, it could be like what Buffy merchandise is on my eBay watch list at the moment. Um, just all kinds of different things. But today, what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to get real deep into that new Entertainment Weekly um, photo shoot slash interview with the cast of Buffy. Because I watched a thing that they put out on like People magazine website or Entertainment Weekly, I guess they're affiliated. I don't know, whatever. It was like on their website. They put out a 45 minute video that had a bunch of the cast members that were in the photo shoot for the magazine, um, just like talking about Buffy. And so, of course, I was super into that. Like 45 minutes of all the cast talking about Buffy. I thought it was going to be like a Comic Con panel type discussion. But it was really disappointing because. It was just so generic, which, duh, Entertainment Weekly. But um, it was just so fucking generic. It was like, um... okay, so here's who it was sitting sitting in this big circle. It was Christine Sutherland, who pay- plays Joyce, Buffy's mom. It was um, Michelle Trachtenberg, who plays Dawn, Buffy's little sister. James Marsters, who plays Spike. Um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who plays Buffy. David Boreanaz, who plays Angel, Seth Green, who plays Oz, um, Charisma Carpenter, who plays Cordelia. Um, I, I know all these people's names. I never know actors' names, but I am no, I know them all by heart. Um, Alexis Denisov, who plays Wesley, who doesn't show up until season three. Um, and Dawn, Buffy's little sister, doesn't show up till season five. Emma Caulfield, who plays Anya, who is um, the main love interest for Xander throughout most of the series. Um, Nicholas Brendan, who plays Xander. He was not in the discussion, which is a big part of what I'm going to talk about here in a second. He was not there at the big discussion, but he's in the photo. I'm going to get way into that, way too into that here in a second. Um, Allison Hannigan, who plays Willow. And um, Amber Benson, who plays Tara who's now an author, by the way. She didn't show up till season four. And Joss Whedon, of course, the creator of Buffy. But Joss Whedon and Nicholas Brendan both were not in the, like, big discussion of everyone sitting in, like, a semicircle and talking about Buffy. What was disappointing about the, like, um, the discussion in general was that it was just super fucking generic. It was like, it was like, 
I guess their goal is to introduce people to Buffy that don't know Buffy. Is to like twenty years later, let's introduce everybody to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is what the show is. This is what it's about. This is Allison Hannigan who plays Willow. This is Willow's character, and then they show some footage. And so it's just very like, if you're already a big fan of Buffy, it's just boring, you know. It's like okay, I know who these people are. The thing that was interesting was seeing everyone twenty years later, you know, um, seeing them sit together and how they interact and what their body language is like towards each other, what the their upper lips look like, for example. <laughs> um, let me just give you a little rundown of who I think has had work done. How about that? Um, definitely Allison Hannigan. She looks fucking weird. Um, her lips are... It's like she's going for an understated lip pump, but she just had it done and the swelling hasn't gone down yet. That's what that looks like. Um... Emma Caulfield, her face looks morphed. Same thing. It's like lip pump technology must be slightly different now where it's sort of, I feel like, I don't know, like maybe they both went together to get their lips pumped, but it was like two days before this photo shoot. I don't know. Weird. Um, so definitely, um, Charisma Carpenter who plays Cordelia I'm looking at, like, the cover photo right now that they're all in. I don't think it's actually a cover photo. It's just, like, a spread that's inside the magazine. Um, it's hard to tell from this photo because it's been heavily photoshopped um, what's going on. Emma Caulfield's face looks fucking crazy. Like Michael said, she looks like a stroke victim in this picture. <laughs> she kind of does. Um, Charisma Carpenter. She's very, like... I mean, I want to say this in a not slut-shamey way, but just to get the idea across of how Charisma Carpenter has always dressed and always looked in photo shoots. This is just her vibe, her thing that she puts out in the universe. She dresses real slutty. <laughs> like, just boobs McGee. <laughs> like, Michael's like, who's boobs McGee over there? Is that Charisma Carpenter? Because he couldn't see her face in this certain shot. Um, so... Yeah, she's, she's made, she's had some stuff done, but it, she largely looks the same. Um, and they were, um, one of the things they were doing every time they introduced one of the actors is they said what their age was when they started. So the whole time I'm like, I'm adding 20 years, you know? Um, so Charisma Carpenter was one of the oldest. She was, I can't remember if she was 26 or 28 when um, the show started, which means that she's 46 or 48 now. Um, and Joss, the creator of the show, was only like 26 when he started writing Buffy. That might have been, he might have been 26 when he wrote the script for the movie. So it's possible that he was like, you know, 30 or so by the time the series started. But that's kind of weird to think about that he was so young. Um you would think, I don't know, getting, I don't know, being, I thought he was much more of a seasoned queen by then. Um, but whatever. Anyway. Uh, okay. None of the boys look like they've had work done. They all look pretty normal. Um, side note, David Boreanaz, who plays Angel, who played Angel and now plays, um, Seely Booth on Bones is becoming one of my favorite, um, actor humans of all time. He was just into, during this entire thing, I mean, he spent his entire career 
um, backing up strong women because he did it, he did it for Buffy for three years and then he had his own show. I mean, I guess he wasn't backing anybody up on the five years he was on his own show, but, um, but most of his career, you know, so he spent three years backing up Buffy, five years having his own show. And then he spent the last 12 years backing up, um, Zoe Deschanel's older sister, Emily Deschanel in Bones. And so he, I don't know, he just seemed like he, he was just so comfortable. He was just hanging out. He was letting everybody else talk. He was making little jokes here and there, just being good natured on this like photo that I'm looking at, this big photo of everyone together. Um, he's holding hands with Sarah Michelle Gellar and it's just cute. Um, because if you, you know, one of the questions of Buffy is, you know, are you team Angel or are you team Spike? And, um, so people ask Sarah Michelle Gellar that a lot. And, um, she brought up an interesting point during this whole discussion that, um, sorry, I was talking about who had work done. I should probably finish that conversation. Um, I only have three other women to talk about here. Um, Buffy, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible Sarah Michelle Gellar has had work done. If so, it's very minimal and it's just lips if she's had anything, um, Michelle Trachtenberg, she's only, she was 14 when she started the series, and that was season five. So, you know, that was only 15 years ago. So she's only like 30 now. She has been heavily photoshopped in this picture because seeing her at the panel thing, like, she's a chubby goth chick now. So I'm very into that. I would love to see her in something. I don't know. And her voice is different now. Like, well, obviously, cause she was 14 when she started the show, but her voice is like, um, like deep and I don't know. She's just sexy now. Um, and then Christine Sutherland who plays Joyce, she somehow looks exactly the same. She looks youthful. She looks great. I mean, at this point, I can't remember what they said. I think they said she was 38 when this series started, I want to say. So she's like around 60 now, um, but she looks great and she doesn't look like she's had any work done. Um, and it's just so nice to see that, like, if you let yourself age the way you're going to age, I know some people don't age as well as others, you know, it's just life, but, um, it, life and genetics. But if you let yourself, if you just like work out and are semi-healthy and, you know, just try to be happy and be a positive person, you're going to age as well as you can, you know, and you're going to look way better than getting a bunch of fucking work done. I hate that shit. Anyway, so lots of them had work done, so I'm not going to show this little video to my mom because she's going to be way too distracted about that <laughs> and it's going to make her depressed. <laughs> So, um, not that she would seek that out on her own, but mom, don't watch it. Okay. Do not watch the 45 minute entertainment weekly thing with all the Buffy people. Okay. James Marsters. Woo. He's the one that was 48 or 38 when he started on the show. Okay. So I think maybe Christine Sutherland who plays Buffy's mom, Joyce was probably in her forties. Yeah, so she's got to be like 65, 70 by now, but she looks great. Anyway, um, James Marster's not looking so good. He, no, 
<laughs> he just he does not have that chiseled bad boy face anymore. He I don't know, he does not look the same to me. And not just because he no longer has platinum blonde hair, which who would want to keep that up if he didn't have to, you know, seriously. Um, but he, he looks weird anyway. So, okay. Okay. What was I starting to talk about? Oh yes. Okay. So Sarah Michelle, Gell- Michelle Geller brought up an interesting point. And I had known that she had answered her answer to the question, are you team angel or are you team spike? I have known for a long time that her answer is team angel. And so they asked her the question again during this panel and she got really nervous. She's such a vanilla person. Like she's so not interesting. I would have loved to have heard any of the rest of them talk. Um, But anyway, uh, this is, this particular thing is not an example of her being vanilla. This is just, um, she was, she was just very careful and she got very nervous. She was very careful about like, because James Marsters is sitting like two people away from her on her left and David Boronis is sitting directly to her right. So she just had to look at them. She had to say, listen, I don't like answering this question and I want to make it very clear that this is not me, Sarah Michelle Geller, picking either James Marsters or David Boreanaz. This is not a Sarah David James conundrum. As Buffy my answer to this question has always been Angel because I think he's better for her. I think that's a healthier relationship. And um, she didn't even say it's a healthier relationship. I think she just said he's better for her. And, you know, her relationship with Spike was a whole different thing. And like, she didn't even like say anything negative about it. But I mean, let's get real. Like this is a lot of spoilers because we're in season one and none of this shit has happened yet. But, um, Spike at one point during the series attempts to rape Buffy. They have a very, whenever they have a relationship together during the series, the TV series, they have an abusive relationship. It's abusive on both sides, but, um, it's pretty hairy. It's not something you want to ever aspire to. Um, so that is the correct answer because Angel was always about consent with Buffy, um, as long as he wasn't Angelus, which we'll get into all that once we hit season two. Um, oh, so many exciting things that we're going to get to talk about. Like right now we're just like having little conversations about monster of the week shit and we're just not getting deep into anything yet, but oh man, in another year or two, things are going to get good. Um, anyway, anyway, so, and she said something about like, she doesn't like answering that question because she gets death threats and all this shit. And I'm just like, oh my God, poor girl. Like I knew that that was probably the case because by and large fans are team Spike because Spike is sexier. Like back in the day, James Marsters was sexier than David Boreanaz. David Boreanaz looks almost the fucking same as he did 20 years ago. Like he has aged very well. And I think it's because he is a nice human and he seems happy and he works out. Like he's just, he's doing good. He looks good. Like Angel slash David Boreanaz is more appealing to me the older I get. It's like the older I get, the more sensible I get. And the more I find him to be just a nice human, you know, like I don't have a huge crush on him 
but just as a human, he seems like a nice person. Anyway, um, let's just segue directly into some weird observations that I made while watching this. So as I said before, who does not seem like a good human? Let's just segue right there. Nicholas Brendan. Okay, so I'm going to be throwing some shade on Nicholas Brendan right now. And uh, he played Xander, in case you don't know. So I noticed that he was not at that big discussion. Like, it seemed totally normal that Joss wouldn't be there, because if Joss was there, then he would just be talking the whole time, you know? Um, so that part didn't seem odd. But the only other person missing was Nicholas Brendan. And um, they did do, like, a little bit of, like, they interviewed him a little bit, but whenever they cut to him talking, it was just him and Emma Caulfield, who played his longtime girlfriend, Anya. And let me tell you a little something about the body language between Emma Caulfield and Nicholas Brendan, who is the only, Emma Caulfield's the only person that interacted with him this entire time. So, they're sitting on like a love seat. It's a little bigger than a love seat, but not as big as a couch. So it's kind of in between. And this is a body language. Emma Caulfield is wedged into the right corner of the sofa, her right not ours. Not that that really matters. She's wedged into the right corner of the sofa. Her legs are crossed. Her arms are clasped in front of her. And she looks like she is holding something back. Like she's very, like she's as far away from him as she can get. And he, on the other hand, is like, you know, He's manspreading a little bit, not so far as to be encroaching upon her space, but it's like he's trying to look casual. You know, he's got his arm on the back of the couch, like toward her direction, and um, he looks like he's trying really hard to look casual. And um, anytime he said anything, she was just sort of like sitting there, kind of smiling, but not really interacting with him. And I was like, okay, that's weird. And then, and then, so they're, they're actually showing footage of all of them posing for this one big picture with them all in it that I was just talking about that I was looking at on my phone. Um, Nicholas Brandon wasn't there. He wasn't in that photo. And then um, he wasn't there posing. And then when I saw the picture um, on Entertainment Weekly's website, which I'm going to go buy that magazine like now because there's like four different covers. I'm not going to get crazy and buy all four covers. I, what I want. So there's, um, oh God, this is why am I always like this? I always just like go down these weird rabbit holes in the middle of me making a point about something else. And like, it's so disjointed. Anyway, there's four different covers. Um, one of them is, um, Buffy by herself, Sarah Michelle Gellar, just by herself. And the photos are done pretty well. They look pretty nice. One of them is Buffy with Angel. One of them is Buffy with Spike. And then one of them is Angel by himself. This is like, what? I guess he's just that popular of a character, even though he was only in the first three seasons. Um, but he did have his own show, so um, whatever. Anyway, the one that I would like to have, like, I don't want to go to, like, ten different stores to find the perfect one or anything. I mean, who knows? Maybe I will do that. But the one I think I would like is just the one with Buffy by herself. Um, the one, just as far as just the picture goes, the one with her and 
Um, David Boreanaz is kind of weird. Like it has a bright white background and it just looks weird. I don't really like it just style wise. Um, the one with her and James Marsters looks kind of good. Um, they, they look cute. Um, it's just, it's cute. It's a good picture. Um, so that's my second choice. And then, so basically I just, I either want the one just with Buffy by herself or the one with Buffy and Spike. Um, so I definitely want this, even though I know that the interview is going to be stupid as shit, but there's going to be some cute pictures in there and it's just going to be a nice thing to have. Like I used to have some pretty cool magazines back in the nineties. I would like to actually someday like dive into eBay and find a few of those magazines again. Like I had this old spin magazine that was like women in rock or something like that. It was probably from 1997. It had Fiona Apple on the cover. And that's one that just comes to mind that like, oh, I'd love to have that one again. It would be so nice to just have a few of those old magazines that I used to have in the nineties. Anyway, whole other rabbit hole. So when I noticed that that big picture had everyone in it, including Nicholas Brendan, I was like, oh, they photoshopped him into that picture. And now that I think about it, there was like a weird little gap in the photo whenever they were all posing together and they were showing the footage of them posing. Um, I was like, uh, it didn't occur to me. I thought it was actually visually interesting that they had that gap there, but then they put Nicholas Brendan in that gap. So whatever. Um, so I was like, what's the deal with that? Like, why is he not involved in any of this? Um, side note, Anthony Stewart head who played Giles, which is, you know, one of the main four characters. I mean, it's, it's Buffy, Willow, Xander, Giles. I mean, those are the main core four in my mind. And apparently, they're on the outs with Nikki and, um, Anthony Stewart head was just like, you know, he lives in London. He couldn't make it. He was, you know, doing work or whatever. And he tweeted about it. So it's fine. There's no bad blood there. There can't be bad blood with Giles. Okay. That I could not recover from. But anyway, so Michael looked up on Wikipedia, Nicholas Brendan, and I knew that he had had some problems like back in 2015, he had gotten in some trouble for like, disorderly conduct and alcoholism. And he had come out, he had been to rehab a few times and he had come out with, um, sort of some, I don't know the details, but some information about how he had recently remembered that he had been molested as a child. And so he, I knew he'd been going through some shit, but I didn't know the extent of it until Michael looked him up on Wikipedia and just started like reading all these different times that he was arrested in like the last few years, like, you know, 2012, 2013, 2015, I think. I don't think anything happened last year that um, he told me. And one of them um, so the arrests were usually destruction of property type stuff, but, um, one of them was, how was it worded? Like cessation of breath or obstruction of breathing. I think it was called, he was arrested as obstruction for breathing and he had had, you know, a woman with him. So apparently he choked a bitch, you guys, Nicholas Brendan. Xander motherfucking Harris choked someone. So I completely understand why no one was talking to him. 
and why um, I know he's been a writer of some of the comics because Buffy continued in comic form and is still going. The storyline is still going. It just picked up right where the end of the series left off. And that's one of my favorite things. And I'll mention that a million times. Um, I know he's one of the writers for one of the series of um, the comics. And he was shown to be posing with Joss Whedon in one of the pictures. I think that was the one in which he and Joss were both photoshopped into the photo with everyone else. So it could have just been a timing thing that, like, they couldn't all be there at the same time. But I don't know. I think, I don't know. Like, and of course Joss Whedon is still going to be on Nikki's side because... Xander was the, you know, Joss surrogate character. But as we will talk about many, many, many times in my seven-year Buffy rewatch project, Xander is one of the biggest asshole characters. Like, you're supposed to love him and you're supposed to think he's good. And he does a lot of good things, especially towards the end of the series. And now in comic form, he is a great stand-up dude. He's he's awesome. But, but he's done some shitty things. The worst of which is going to happen in next week's episode called The Pack. So I'm going to get real fucking into that next week. But, um, of course, well, anyway, so I don't know what's going on. Obviously, you know, he's got alcoholism. He's got some issues. Um, hopefully he's sober now and hopefully he has gotten help. He looks terrible. He's only 46 and he, he definitely, he definitely looks mean and troubled. And you know how people, I mean, I'm telling you, Dorian Gray shit, okay? Who, however you're your demeanor is, your outlook on life, your thoughts, they show up on your face. The older you get, the more you look like whatever your thoughts are. You know, it's like that Shel Silverstein poem, you know, you're going to look beautiful if you're a happy person. I mean, look at Mer Meryl motherfucking Streep, okay? You know that bitch is happy. She has happy eyes. She has a happy face. She looks like she hasn't had any work done unless it's the kind of like super expensive, like the best work ever next level shit that no one could clock. She looks good. She looks great. And I think a large part of that is because she seems to just have this happiness about her. My friend Christine, like if you, if y'all know her, um, she goes by O'Hara, um, now, but her middle name. She is an artist and she lives in Canada and she's just, she exudes love and kindness every waking moment. And she is, she's a crazy bitch, but she has that sort of like, you know, you know, she's going to be beautiful forever. And it's not just genetics, even though that's a part of it. Like, yeah. Anyway, Nicholas Brandon does not look good. And I would like to see him next to his twin brother. I don't know, um, his twin brother. I don't know his name, but, um, I know he has an identical twin brother, and it would be interesting to see 
if his twin brother has had a different life, if he is not an alcoholic, I don't know the details of that, but it would be interesting to see them side by side because it's quite possible that um, his twin brother looks like a happy Xander future. <laughs> you know, like if they do a read, uh, like a, what is it called when a show comes back? Recap, not recap, uh, re, whatever. If Buffy comes back for a redo, um, maybe they should cast Nicholas Brendan's twin instead of him. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe he couldn't do it. I, I don't know if he's an actor necessarily, but anyway, so that is my super analysis of the Entertainment Weekly actors from Buffy, uh, cover shoot situation. And, um, what do you guys think? Because that body language between, between him and Emma Caulfield was just, it was bananas. It was like she drew the short straw. Somebody had to sit next to him during his part of the interviews and it would, had had to be her, you know, it had to be somebody that he had some sort of connection with on the show. And I'm thinking Sarah Michelle Gellar refused. That's another thing that is like real background for me. Like, you know, Buffy is a cult show. Like they, the actors and writers for Buffy go to comic cons all the time. <clears throat> and there were some Buffy video games that, um, a lot of the actors voiced, um, did the voices for the actual characters and, um, stuff like that. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, for whatever reason, I don't know why, for the longest time, she has not been a part of any of that shit. This is one of the first things that she has done that has been, you know, with her former co-stars and like, she doesn't do comic cons. She does, she never does the voice acting for Buffy in any of the like video games or cartoons or anything that comes out, which is really disappointing and really hard to get past because if it's not Buffy's voice, you know, and like, why wouldn't she do that? This is her, this is the reason that she is it's her livelihood. Buffy is the character that made Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like, would she have gotten other work? Yeah, she's a good actress, but it is what made her. And I think she should have more respect for that. And I don't know if I like her as a human. Um, I mean, she seems perfectly nice and boring and whatever. And she respects her private life. And I'm, I'm cool with that, you know, but like, I'm not saying she needs to go to every comic book convention, but like, why are you being a bitch about doing the voice of Buffy? You need to do that. Like you're going to get paid and people are going to love you for it. There's no downside. So that bothers me about Sarah Michelle Gellar, but I can imagine playing a character like Buffy for seven years. Um, a lot of hard work, a lot of angst, a lot of superiority complex, like, bitch has gone through it. So I, I don't know how you could do a character like that in, like she started doing that character when she was 18. So 18 to 25, like critical formative years of your adolescence. She was learning to become this larger than life superiority complex person. And, you know, she probably, you can't come back from that. So I guess part of her being Buffy is why she can no longer be Buffy. I don't know. 
Um, that, that's just me getting into psychology of Sarah Michelle Geller. Um, so I have thoughts on that shit. But um, for now, that is Buffy news, I guess. And um, I will come back with my analysis of episode five, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, which is a pretty good episode. So I probably will have a lot to say tonight's um, supplemental podcast supplemental episode of what's this bitch talking about is gonna be long so get your cocktails ready okay bitches okay i am now finally ready to get into the episode of never kill a boy on the first date first i want to do a little bit of backtracking i looked up some stuff on nicholas brendan who plays xander yesterday and um it seems like he's just really been struggling so i want to like i mean he choked his girlfriend so that's kind of unforgivable but um i really you know i don't know him personally i don't know the struggles that he's going through um so i want to kind of like take it a couple steps back from what i was saying before about him um because i i don't know I don't know him. I don't know the struggles. I don't know what he's been through. He seems to be, um, in interviews and stuff, he's very apologetic about, um, his struggles with alcoholism. And he seems to be kind of upfront about like when he relapses and, um, that he's trying to work through some shit. And, um, there hasn't been any incidences in like the last year or year and a half. So like, I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. It's possible that, you know, I mean, whatever. I just, I just don't want to be cruel to this person who might just be going through some shit. He might not be a total asshole. You know, like, I don't know what it's like to be an alcoholic and to, you know, I mean, he, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know your life, Nicholas Brendan. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So, um, me reading too much into body language and shit um, in a Buffy interview is, you know, whatever. Anyway. Okay. So let's see. I think what I will do, set this little guy down over here. I'm trying to be so careful with this thing. I could easily fall over though. Okay. So, Okay. <laughs> um, this episode is um, basically Buffy tries to have a normal date with a normal dude. So um, what I wrote down for the summary is Buffy tries to have a real date with a boy, but he's a normie. So basically um, there's this thing, this prophecy about... Um, the anointed one, which is somebody that's going to help the master who's the big bad of this season that we haven't seen in a couple episodes. Um, the anointed one is essential to the master's, I don't know, escape from his underground prison or whatever. I don't know. Um, so there's some sort of prophecy and, um, but she really wants to go on a date and Giles is like trying to tell her that she can't reveal her identity to anyone. She, um, needs to 
adhere to her responsibilities as a slayer and deal with this apocalypse bullshit and the anointed one and all that. And, um, her response to that is she, I don't remember how she gets the beeper, the pager, but she gets a pager at some point And then she says the iconic line, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. <laughs> and then she goes out on the date. And so this is an interesting interplay between it's, this is a good episode. Like, um, right now we're sort of dealing with, and every other episode is like kind of crap <laughs> situation, but this is a good one. Um, so this is a good relationship, a good, um, episode to sort of portray the relationship that is growing between Giles and Buffy, because in the beginning of the episode, he's really trying to be her watcher. He's trying to tell her about her responsibilities. He's, um, just being, you know, trying to be in his role as the watcher. But by the end of the episode, he's sort of, you know, has like a father daughter type conversation with Buffy. And you can tell that he's really starting to care about her. He's starting to empathize with her because she's still a human being. She still wants to have a normal life, even though she can't completely ever have a normal life. It's interesting that like he so readily was fine with Xander and Willow knowing about Buffy's secret identity, but he is not cool with this other dude knowing, which makes sense because this guy is obviously an outsider. This um, is one of a very tiny handful of possible love interests for Buffy that just don't work out from the very beginning. Um, he is portrayed as a quote unquote sensitive dude. And the way that they portray this is he likes Emily Dickinson. <laughs> Apparently that's all you need to be a sensitive dude. So he, um, because he likes Emily Dickinson, he's apparently cool and sensitive. Um, but he, let's see, there was some interesting point that was in, oh, let's go to the research part of, um, the episode where I, um, if you don't know, I have five different books that I consult, um, before I watch each episode and they had interesting things to say. Let's see, let's just go through my Buffy and philosophy book, um, was, really harping on the fact that this show uses the word apocalypse since apocalypse is a Christian word. Like there was a, a big question of like, why is this word used so much? And then there was a bunch of examples of when this word was used. And it's like, um, the word apocalypse is used because we all know what it means and because it's a cool sounding word, you know? Um, so I, I didn't really find that to be an interesting point necessarily, but that's really all Buffy and philosophy book had to say about this particular episode. In my Why Buffy Matters book, um, this episode was mentioned in a larger discussion. There's a whole chapter on comparisons between Buffy and Harry Potter, which I don't think I've actually read that book in its entirety because I don't remember that chapter at all. So that is kind of an interesting um, thought, and I want to go back and read the entire chapter. But the part that was mentioning this episode was talking about how one of the similarities between Harry Potter and Buffy is um, 
that they both have a super smart female friend and then a more doltish male friend. So they were making that comparison that Harry Potter and Buffy both their two best friends are similar archetypes. So um, anyway, I, I want to go back and read that chapter for sure, because that is going to be interesting to, to look at the parallels between Harry Potter and Buffy. Maybe it'll make me want to be involved in Harry Potter more. Um, but the book that I have that made the most interesting point was in Sex and the Slayer, where they were talking about... Um, Buffy's series of almost series of almost love interests that didn't work out and why they didn't work out. Um, so I wanted to read a little, just a little bit from that book because I find it interesting. Okay. Um, Bill Clinton was elected president in 1992 after presenting himself as the grandson of a working woman, the son of a single mother, the husband of a working wife, and telling voters, I have learned that building up women does not diminish men. This points to the ways feminism has caused changes in the presentation of masculinity, and here I examine three apparently sensitive males who were presented as potential partners for Buffy but proved to be unsuitable because they cling to more traditional masculinities. So I'm not going to read you the other two examples um, because they have not come up yet, but I'll read you the part that involves Owen that is going to be in this episode. The first, Owen Thurman, is introduced in Never Kill a Boy on the First Date as sensitive yet manly, and he shares some characteristics with Angel. He hardly talks to anyone. He's solitary, mysterious. He can brood for 40 minutes straight, says Willow. Owen's manly credentials are established both by Cordelia's pursuit of him, because Cordelia like has a moment where she, I guess they just did that to establish that Owen is a commodity, I guess, whatever. <clears throat> both by Cordelia's pursuit of him and his rejection of her, while his sensitivity is established by his admiration of Emily Dickinson's poetry. Further, Owen finds most girls pretty frivolous and tells Buffy there are more important things in life than dating, perhaps indicating that he rejects heterosexual romance and certainly coding him as different from the typical testosterone-charged male teen. When Angel comes to the bronze to discuss the latest crisis and discovers that the Slayer is on a date, Owen and Angel face off, the first in a long line of such confrontations for Buffy's potential partners. Although Buffy confesses that she almost feels like a girl with Owen, a gendered articulation of how romance exposes her split personality, her Slayer duties inevitably intrude. She leaves Owen at the bronze, but unhappy in a passive role, he follows the Scoobies and attempts to protect Buffy from a vampire. This assertion of traditional male hero heroism is punctured by his lack of awareness and being promptly knocked out, but the definitive undermining of Owen comes in the final act. The next day he asks Buffy when he can see her again, saying, Last night was incredible. I never thought nearly getting killed would make me feel so alive. And Buffy confesses to Giles, he wants to be Danger Man, two days in my world, and Owen really would get himself killed. Buffy is compelled to reject Owen because he displays masculine aggression, getting off on the danger of slaying, like Riley and some other tough guys, and because he refuses to be careful. So I think this is kind of making a good point of why he, 
why a normal boy cannot be a part of Buffy's world because um, you couldn't really ever, being a slayer, you could not date someone that did not know your secret, first of all. And the only people that can be trusted with her secret are going to acknowledge, are going to be people that can acknowledge, and since she's heterosexual, the only people she could, the only men that she could date would be people that could both would have to be people that could acknowledge, I don't know how to say this, people that could uh, acknowledge her power and that she can take care of herself. So she either has to be with someone that has superpowers like her, like Angel, like Spike, even Riley to a certain extent once, I mean, he's not going to come up until season four, but, um, he actually has some extra, not really powers, but anyway, we'll get into that. She only ever dates people that are equal to her in power. If she were ever to date someone like Owen, that is not equal to her in power, that person would have to be willing to acknowledge that she is the one with the power. They couldn't be trying to pretend that they can fight as hard as she can because they can't. And, you know, it just, it would be difficult anyway for her to date someone that did not have her strength and power because that person really would be putting themselves in danger all the time. To be close to the Slayer is putting yourself in danger. And Xander gets away with it because he is submissive to her. Like, and he's not a love interest, but he is, um, he's willing to acknowledge that bitch can get shit done and I need to take, you know, I need to not rush in. I need to follow her orders and all that shit. So that was an interesting point about masculinity, masculinity there. Um, so that's the research portion. <laughs> um, let's see. Sorry, I'm not very talkative today. So this is like, and I've got to get this done because it's 530 and the radio show is on at 7. So um, I'm going to go ahead and watch the episode now. And yeah, I think. I think so. I think I'm going to go ahead and watch the episode now. This is just one of those episodes where I'm like that book was talking about split personality. Like there's a lot of different episodes that deal with Buffy the Slayer versus Buffy the girl. So whenever she tries to do quote unquote normal things or girly things, she usually calls them girly things. She refers to them that way. Um, it never quite works out. Like she, the series itself is kind of coming to terms with the fact that she can't have normality. And so she makes several realizations during the series 
that she never will have normality. And this is one of the first times that you really like get that. Like she wants so bad to go on this date. She doesn't want to, she wants to forget that she's a slayer for a few days and go on a date and you can't do one or the other. You have, she has to find a way to reconcile those two parts of herself. So this is like the first time that they're really bringing up that point. So this is a pretty important episode, I would say. So I'm going to go ahead and get into it and I'll be back. I think this is the first time we're seeing a prophecy in the Buffy universe and prophecies are interesting in the Buffy universe because, um, I mean, they don't have them that often, but when they do, they always come true. Like there's like sometimes, I mean, there's gray areas, but prophecies are, you know, warnings of like Joss Whedon's version of telling a prophecy is this is the plot point I'm about to hit and won't it be interesting to see how I get there. So the prophecy that is foretold in this episode has to do with this anointed one character that Buffy will see, will encounter the anointed one and the anointed one will lead her to hell. So um, that is not going to come to pass until the very end of the season. So I guess I won't spoil that situation, but um, this is only a part of the prophecy. I think we find out more of the prophecy later in the season. And as is always the case with prophecies in the Buffy universe, it does come true. I think maybe we should count times that Buffy or that Giles actually checks a book out to someone. <laughs> um, this is the first time uh, that we see it happen besides when the, in the first episode when Buffy goes to get her textbooks from the library which is odd that she would have to do that anyway but um so Owen just came in and he needed an Emily Dickinson book and so we just saw Giles check it out to him and it's one of the only times you will ever see anyone but the Scooby gang gang in the library <laughs> so that is a funny moment um, other funny moment, um, later in this episode, Giles is going to get knocked out and it's one of those things he gets knocked out a lot. Um, it's, there's actually a little chart in one of my, um, episode guides, the one, the one that I like called bite me, um, that, uh, lists every time that he gets knocked out. It's only like 10 times. It's not that much, <laughs> um, but it's, you know, more than once per season. Um, Buffy looks really cute in this very first scene. She's wearing like a, a scoop neck, green, short mod looking dress with, um, knee boots and her makeup is a little, her makeup and hair are a little sixties. I like how, I love it when they put her in these mod outfits and like the first, it only happens in like the first season or two. Um, but it's, it, she, she just looks so cute. She looks so cute. She's only 18 at this point which, um, I don't know, weird, right? I mean, not weird, but most of the other actors were like 25 or older playing high school students. And she actually is 18 as she's playing a 16 year old. So not that big of a stretch for her. Okay. I get why, um, they're having, they're showing Cordelia macking on Owen because you're supposed in these beginning um, episodes, you're supposed to see Cordelia as 
the life that Buffy left behind, the life that she doesn't entirely want to leave behind. So when she was called as a slayer, she was a Cordelia type. She was popular. She, you know, was ditzy and all that shit. And being called as a slayer turned her into a more mature, responsible turned her into a hero, turned her into a different person. And this is still early enough and she's only been a slayer for like a year or so at this point. She's still, you know, close enough to that, that she looks to Cordelia as this is the life that I've lost. So Cordelia kind of needs to mac on Owen because, um, so that you can see that because, um, Basically, so she was out at the cemetery with Giles because they thought that the prophecy said something about out of the ashes of five, the anointed one will rise. So they were in the cemetery thinking that that's where, that's where the anointed one would rise. They thought he would be a vampire. Turns out they're wrong, but anyway. So she was at the cemetery waiting for that to happen and it never did. So then she went to meet Owen at the bronze because she was supposed to meet him at like eight, but she's late because she had to fulfill her slayer duties. And when she gets there, she sees Cordelia dancing with Owen. So she, I think she just, she's about to just like run out and she won't even, uh, Owen won't even see that she was there, I think. Um, so I get that now she sees Cordelia as her past, as the future that she can't have. Cordelia is going to be able to be the girl that she can't ever be. So Xander's being a bit of a sleaze. Okay, first of all, like, he's super jealous because he has this big crush on Buffy and he hasn't told her yet. Um, and she's planning a date with this Owen guy. And she's getting ready for the date with the Owen guy. And uh, Willow and Xander are there helping her pick out outfits or something, which, weird, right? But... <laughs> So at one point she decides on a dress and she's in her bathrobe and she like makes him go across the room and turn around, you know, and he like starts trying to position this mirror on her dresser so that he can see while he's turned around her getting dressed. Okay. Sleazy. And then he pulls Owen aside when Owen comes to the house to pick her up for the date and like starts telling him all this stupid ass shit like like she doesn't like to dance she doesn't like to be touched blah 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 and you know trying to sabotage her sabotage her relationship with Owen which we're supposed to find endearing because he has a crush on her but no sleazy sleazy Xander so Giles has gotten himself in trouble he um is trapped in like some little room. I don't know if he's in the school, but there's bars on the door, on the window. And, um, luckily Willow and Xander were looking out for him and, um, like Giles is being chased by vampires, I guess, or something. And so basically what's happening is it's being hit home. The moral, the morality of Buffy sometimes kind of bothers me. Like, Basically, every time she tries to do something normal, um, someone is put in danger and almost dies. Someone that she loves almost dies or someone, you know, that she doesn't even know dies or something. Someone is put in danger when she tries to do something normal. 
so that it's like it's kind of her fault it's kind of her fault that Giles is in danger right now because if she wasn't on a date she'd be with him slaying doing her duties so even though overall I would say that Buffy is a feminist show there's a lot of morality imposed upon the female characters that is not always equally imposed on the male characters so um that is something that is problematic I think so um this is the first time you're seeing there's also a lot of conversation between Owen and Buffy where he's always saying to her you're not like normal girls you know like you're different like earlier he said something about he finds girls frivolous and that's why he doesn't date very often so like she's trying to prove that she is different than other girls she's not frivolous blah 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 and he you know he keeps saying you're not like other girls and that's supposed to be a compliment and I remember back in the day when I thought that was a compliment to think that I'm not like other girls but it's pretty sexist so um so there's these two interplays happening I don't know exactly how to articulate it properly but Owen telling her she's not like other girls that most girls are frivolous that's a weird sexist thing and then the whole Giles is being put in danger because she's actually going out and doing something fun for once in her life which is also I think a pretty sexist thing or at least an overly self-righteous moralistic thing maybe that particular thing isn't sexist but it's you know that whole heroes can't have fun bullshit you know okay Giles is at the funeral home because he was looking for the anointed one I guess um, and so Xander and Willow had to go find Buffy at the bronze to like get her to follow them and um, Angel shows up and he's all jealous because Buffy's there with Owen um, <laughs> and so there's that face-off of Angel with the love interest which you will see that happen several more times during this series um, Angel has like a face-off with Spike and Riley and maybe Scott Scott comes later but anyway um so she leaves the bronze to go rescue Giles and um tells Owen he can't come with her but he follows her there so now he is in danger as she's trying to save Giles and she has to look out for Willow and Xander too of course but they're more careful so they're not you know they're smarter and they're more careful so like here she is surrounded by people that she has to save right now okay so Owen goes to the funeral home Buffy saves Giles they're trying to keep the secret they're they're trying to keep up the pretense that they're in the funeral home because they're just like poking around being bad teenagers whatever um, so Buffy's trying to keep Owen away from Giles and eventually he tries to go in and save her and um, when because there's vampires and he the vampire like knocks him out and pronounces that he's dead so Buffy thinks that she has killed the boy on the first date and or gotten the boy killed on the first date and um 
so she fights the vampires, blah, blah, blah. He's really dazed when he wakes back up from being knocked out. And, um, he's, he just wants to walk home. He, he doesn't want to be around Buffy. So, um, but he's really dazed and he can't figure out how to get home. So Willow and Xander have to walk him home. So she thinks she's blown it with Owen. But the next day he comes up to her and he's like, when can I see you again? That was so exciting and dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And she breaks up with him basically because, you know, she knows that she can't risk someone's life that wants to be near danger. She can't be with someone that wants to be near danger. That can't be a reason for someone being with her. Um, so that's really smart. And at the end, there's just like this cute little conversation between, um, Buffy and Giles and Giles is like, apparently like he was destined to be a watcher. They never bring this up again. I thought that watcher was just a profession and not like a mystical thing which they're making it sound like it's a mystical hereditary thing because he says that his dad was a watcher and his grandma was a watcher so his mom or his dad came up to him one day and told him that he would be a watcher too and Giles was like no I wanted to be a fighter pilot or a grocer <laughs> and it's just kind of a silly little thing that they just I don't think they ever really bring that up again because I don't think being a watcher is hereditary and there seems to be a bunch of watchers lying in wait at any given time, even though there's only one slayer at a time and one watcher at a time, since there's only one slayer at a time, at a time. but I don't know. I did. They never really go into the lore of the watchers. So, um, that is never really explained, but he, he has just a sweet little moment where he tells her that he's proud of her and she's doing a pretty good job whenever she's like saying, I almost got you killed, you know, so they're meeting in the, in, a, in the middle ground, you know, in the beginning of the episode, she was all, I want to date, I want to date, I want to date. And he's like, you can't, you have to be the slayer. And now it's like, oh, you know what? You should get to have a personal life. And she's like, yeah, but I should take my slaying responsibilities more seriously. So, um, this is really an episode, never kill a boy on the first date is really an episode about, um, Giles and Buffy's relationship a little bit and about the fact that she needs to reconcile the fact that, um, she can be both a girl and a slayer, but it's going to be a while before she finds the right balance of those two things. Um, so let's see, what are my, let's go through the, um, object of desire of the episode. There were several different things. Buffy's wearing another big ball ring. This one is like a sort of a clear yellowish color and looked like it had like a flower inside of it or something. It was a particularly cute one. Um, but I think the best object of desire is she was wearing like this really super fuzzy hooded tiger coat in the cemetery, which was so cute. It was such a cute image. She was sitting in the cemetery with her hood up and this fuzzy tiger jacket. And she was drinking like a big gulp hanging out in the cemetery <laughs> with Giles waiting for the anointed one. And it was just such a cute image. I love it. Um, I'll have to post that, um, on the blog for the episode because it's just one of my favorite things. I would love to have like some kind of really fuzzy hooded animal print coat. I'm still on the prowl for the perfect fuzzy animal print coat. Um, there were a couple of cute episodes or cute outfits in this episode. Um, Buffy's green and white mod dress that I already mentioned. Um, she also, the, um, the music in the episode, there are two songs done by a band called Velvet Chain that performed in 
the bronze. I'm assuming it's the actual band lip syncing to the song in the bronze. But the lead singer of that band, Velvet Chain, she was wearing a really cute outfit. Um, another animal print. She was wearing like a leopard print mini dress um, with like a leather jacket over it. So it was very 90s, very cute. I want to wear that outfit right now today. So it's kind of hard to, for me to decide between those two outfits because Buffy's outfit was really cute. The, the green and white shirt or the green and white dress, but that was really the only article of clothing that was involved in that outfit. Cause she was just wearing that dress and that was it. Um, and then I really liked the, the tiger coat, but the outfit that I would actually wear is the one that the velvet chain lead singer was wearing the, the leopard dress with the leather jacket. I would have definitely worn that. Oh, my voice is just, I'm tired today. I don't want to talk. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly. Sorry if this episode is a little underwhelming. Um, the episode itself, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date is a very important episode. You know, if I were to pick just a few episodes from each season, like if I were only going to pick five episodes from each season that you needed to watch, this one's probably going to make the top five of season one, um, which isn't saying a whole lot, <laughs> but, um, it is a good episode. And the two songs by Velvet Chain are, if you're listening to the radio show right now, I'm going to play both of those songs right after this segment, because the one strong, um, the first one that you hear is really good. And then the other one is kind of good. You know, I like this, this album is actually on the album that both of these songs are from is actually on Spotify. So I actually want to listen to it at some point. Oh, so, um, what am I going to say for, for outfit of the episode? I got to give it to Buffy because she's one of our main characters. So I'm giving it to Buffy for the green and white mod dress. Um, her makeup was very cute in this episode throughout the episode. It was perfect Buffy makeup. She has like a little tiny bit of a cat eye, just, just a little, just like you can barely tell. It's just like when she looks down, you can tell that it's sort of a cat eye, which is a difficult thing to achieve with eyes like Buffy's because Buffy kind of has like, um, kind of downturned, slightly hooded eyes. So it's, it would, it's hard to do eye makeup looks with Buffy. Um, I know I have the same struggle. I have hooded eyes and I have a lot of eye skin. So it's like... <laughs> It's just like, it takes a lot. You have to put on like Amy Winehouse amounts of eyeliner on for it to show up on my eyeballs. Um, but anyway, so her makeup was super cute in this episode because it was just like a little bit of a cat eye, a little bit 60s inspired. She was wearing this like um, metallic nude shade of lipstick that just like has not existed since the nineties. Do you remember that shit? There were all kinds of different brown tones in metallic shades of lipstick. And it was just so cute. She looked so cute, man. So cute. Um, and she's just like, she's not at all even close to chubby, but she's a little bit curvy in these first few seasons. Um, I definitely prefer that to like, she was hyper skinny in like the last three seasons of this show. Um, it's just a little off putting, but I think she's just super cute in all these mini dresses and stuff. And so outfit of the episode definitely goes to Buffy. Um, object of the, of desire of the episode is the fuzzy tiger coat. Um, music is from velvet chain. I'm, 
I mean, this is a cliche quote, but it is still so cute. Um, so I'm going to give the quote of the episode to Buffy as well. Whenever she tells Giles, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. Because <laughs> it's like a dated reference, but it's also just, I don't know, it's just cute. Um, so now it comes to my ratings. As far as just general enjoyability of this episode... There's not anything about this episode that I particularly dread. It would definitely be better if I actually found Owen to be cute and I shared her her attraction to him. But I'm used to not sharing anyone's attraction in normal looking boys because I don't like normal looking boys. But um, he's very, I don't know, he's just a very vanilla looking dude. Like, he does not... His personality is slightly interesting, but um, looks-wise, he's got nothing. I mean, he didn't even dress cute. He didn't even dress like 90s cute. He's just so boring. I think you were supposed to see him as a very vanilla character. So that took away a little bit of the enjoyability of this episode for me. So out of five, I mean, it's perfectly good middle-of-the-road episode, but I wouldn't put it in like my top 25 episodes or even my top 50 episodes necessarily. I mean, maybe I would if I was really getting that serious about it. So, I mean, a perfectly enjoyable episode, but I mean, for season one, it's definitely a solid episode that progresses the plot and it's, it's good. Um, so I guess I'll give it three for just like enjoyability and as far as like clearly getting across the message the message in this episode is can you still be a normal girl when you're the slayer you know dealing with reconciling being both a hero and a human at the same time so that's an important part of Buffy's adolescence and her story arc so I think this episode is really that's why this episode is so important. So as far as getting across its message properly, I would give it a four out of five. So three times four, 12 is the final score of this episode. So never kill a boy in the first date, a solid 12, not bad, not terrible. Um, oh wait, is that true? What is three times four? Yeah, it is 12. <laughs> multiplication. Why am I giving myself math to do it while I'm watching these episodes? That was a bad choice. Anyway, it's 20 till seven right now. So I really need to get the, um, get this put into the radio show and get it ready to go. So you guys can actually hear it tonight. Um, thank you so much for listening to my ramblings about Buffy. Um, I swear I will get better at this. Um, I'm a little scattered this week, but, um, Give this episode a chance if you are a person that's not watching every single episode, but you want to watch enough of this show to, like, keep track of what's going on. Um, this is definitely an important one to watch, I would say. So, um, thanks for listening. Grrr. Okay, I'm here with my Michael. Hello. And um, we're ready for, he has just watched the episode, independent of anyone else, with his own thoughts and opinions, and he has taken notes. 
Yeah. Per it's my weird. suggestion. It's weird. Weird to take notes? Yeah. So if you were any character in Buffy at this point in the series, who do you identify with most? Five episodes in. Uh, I don't want to answer that. <laughs> because I have to say Xander. Well, he's okay at no. this point. No, he's not. Except for that one moment in this episode that he was not okay. So what do you got for your notes? Oh, um, I don't know. I just wrote down some words. Um, give me your notes that aren't related to the, you know, like, best outfit, best quote, stuff like that. I'm, like, your random notes. Notes. Uh, the only random notes I wrote down were Velvet Chain, because I wanted the look of that band that played while... Buffy and Owen were hanging out at the bronze. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I wrote down, Owen was the worst, all in caps, because... Just in general? He's just a terrible actor, and, like, why did... Why was he the... Because why I, was he the guy I think that he was all su- the girls wanted? I think he was supposed to be the portrait of normality. Like, he was supposed uh, to be very... Dude was boring. Generic. Yeah. And vanilla. And just because he was quiet and mysterious and read poetry he all the time? He wasn't really quiet and mysterious. He just... You were supposed to think he was sensitive because you liked Emily Dickinson. I think he was a dummy. He's a little bit of a dummy. <laughs> and I think the only reason why Cordelia liked him was because they wanted to show you that Buffy... Buffy's better than Cordelia? Cordelia is the character that Buffy used to be. Yeah. That's what she's there for. Because, like, when Buffy went into... Like, whenever she went to the bronze the first time and she saw him dancing with Cordelia, it was like she was looking at the life that she can't have because she used to be Cordelia. So Cordelia was only interested in Owen to show you that Buffy can't be the normal girl anymore like she wants to be. Yeah. That was the only reason. That's what Cordelia is the OG Buffy surrogate character. Well, I mean, you know, she had to have a nemesis. Yeah. Not that... Cordelia thinks that they're nemesis, nemeses, nemeses, <laughs> but but Buffy doesn't think that because Cordelia no. is kind of below. Buffy sees Cordelia Buffy's as radar. who she used to be. Yeah, because she used to be popular before she was called as a slayer. Yeah, that's it. Owen is the worst. Is the only yeah note because that you it have. was just like his acting was really bad. So, yeah. And also, I mean, Matchbox 20 looking motherfucker. Matchbox 20 looking motherfucker. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, and just. Like, I couldn't even, like, tell you what he looks like. So I just watched the episode. Yeah. <laughs> he's tall and blonde. The, his style of acting kind of reminded me of uh, Johnny Lee Miller's mannerisms and hackers, you know? Yeah. Kind of just, I don't know, it was affected in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't ever have to see him again, so it's that's right. th- That's true. It's a good thing. Yeah. He, he just can't handle Buffy's rejection of him in the end, and he goes to another school or something. He doesn't go to another school. He just um, They just don't show him <laughs> ever again. 
They just don't pay that actor to come back. He seemed like a contradiction of a character. Because, you know, like... Especially because of the line... Towards the end, when he called the vampire sissy because he tried to bite him. He didn't know he was a vampire. Tried to bite me, sissy. When he sits around reading Emily Dickinson... But he wants yeah. to go out and get into fights and... <laughs> yeah, my, like, gender studies Buffy book was talking about that. Like, how you're su- you're supposed to think he's sensitive because he reads Emily Dickinson, but, the f- but he is too caught up in masculinity yeah. to be able to be worthy of Buffy because somebody that's with Buffy needs to be able to submit to her. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, he would have... Like Buffy said, he would have gotten killed. Yeah. He would have gotten killed really quickly because he wanted to chase the danger. Yeah. He was too into traditional masculinity yeah. to be able to be a part of Buffy's world. And that's why Xander works. Yeah. Because he's submissive. Because you have to, in order to be in Buffy's sphere, especially romantically, you have to either be on par with her like Angel and Spike or you have to be able to submit to her yeah like Riley well before he, he had s- some problems with it but yeah. ultimately yeah. he submitted to her power he, did he though because ultimately he couldn't yeah because well, he I mean we're gonna get into yeah. that season four <laughs> <laughs> Go down too much of a rabbit hole that's four years in the future. Literally. Right. Literally four years in the future. So, uh, the outfit. Best outfit. Best outfit. Uh, I really liked uh, the Buffy's fuzzy tiger coat. Yeah. That was was You didn't get to see the whole outfit, but I really liked it. Just the image of her with the hood up and the fuzzy tiger coat sipping the big gulp. So cute. That was the cutest. That was was so 90s. (laughs) I want that coat. Yeah. Um, Best quote of the episode? So, well, still still talking about the outfits, okay? Okay. Okay. More outfits. Uh, I really like Xander's green shirt with with the, not, they weren't polka dots, but kind of. They were like little... Some kind of pattern. Yeah. Kind of I pattern. don't really remember it. Little Maisie pattern or something. Circular Maisie pattern. It's um, like a polyester Really like that. Really like Willow's striped blue and green sweatshirt. Sweater. Whatever. I don't remember that. Long sleeve shirt she was wearing when they went to the funeral home. Mm. Um, I thought Buffy's date night outfit was really cute. The gold. The Like chartreuse... He kind of dress in the pink coat that she was wearing mm-hmm. at the end of the... I wasn't sure true, so it was gold. It's like a greenish gold. Mm. It's gold. Yeah, greenish. It's straight up gold. But okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who got better uh, on the color test? By like you. one point. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I think that Xander's green shirt would also be my coveted object. Okay. Like, I would, that's you want, probably... You want the shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, my coveted object was the leopard coat. Yeah. I gave the outfit of the episode the, the green and white mod dress that she was wearing in the beginning. Because her hair and makeup were on point this episode. Point? Did you mm-hmm. notice her makeup? 
It was, you could tell she was wearing makeup. <laughs> it was noticeable. It was like just cute little <laughs> 60s, like. She did have shit on her face. <laughs> <laughs> understated cat eye situation. It yeah, was, it was good. Very good. And that peach lipstick. Peach. 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 Um, I had a few different quotes written down. Um, the part where Giles co- says uh, she's the strangest girl. I kind of liked. Which Owen later says. Because she's really strange, yeah. She's so peculiar. <laughs> That's what leads back to Riley. <laughs> uh-huh. All roads lead back to Riley. <laughs> All roads lead back to Riley. <laughs> no one's ever said that before. Nope. <laughs> Uh, I really like the the main probably the the hip tagline from the show is if the apocalypse comes beat me. Yeah, that was my quote of the episode. Yeah, even though it's a uh, you know cliche. But I also liked uh, what Giles said. Buffy's when I, Buffy when I said you could when I said you could slay vampires and have a social life, I didn't mean at the same time. <laughs> well, and how then, else are you going to do it? And then uh, who could forget the crazy vampire who said quote I'm this is from memory he's risen in me he sings a song in my head pork and beans pork and beans <laughs> he didn't write that down I can smell you <laughs> <laughs> what was that guy <laughs> crazy like, like we're supposed to think he was the anointed one but he's not no it's uh, uh, Baby Discount John Cusack. Yes. <laughs> Introduced at the very end of the episode, which I did not mention before because, um, yeah, just happened at the very end. But um, that's all I had. I thought uh, it was really creepy the way Cordelia was like, she was like, when they were, when she was dancing with Owen at the bronze before Buffy. When Buffy came in and saw and thought that he had chosen Cordelia, whatever. I mean, who would... I mean... But she was, like, basically, like, molesting him there on the dance floor. She was, like, stroking his arm. It was really creepy. I liked... um, The other competition for quote of the episode for me was when Angel walked in the room and um, into the bronze and it was the first time Cordelia ever saw Angel and she went hello salty goodness yeah (laughs) (laughs) right after like talking to her friends about how Buffy was such a slut for like talking to Owen like like why do they let this happen in public or some some shit and then she was like hello salty goodness he's gonna need CPR when I'm done with him or some shit and then she goes after Angel Cordelia is ridiculous yeah she doesn't realize that she's being way worse than Buffy is well yeah obviously that's the whole point kind of girl throws herself at a man like that um they're on a date and they're dancing (laughs) So what are your... Mm, five by five? Yes. Uh, quality and clarity? Or clarity and quality? Enjoyability and clarity. That's just straight up enjoyability. Well, that's quality. Okay, sure. Um, let's see. Um, so what is the message? Uh, girls are boy crazy? No, the message... Those high school girls? The, this is the first... And, you know, the whole point that's driven home throughout the series of 
Buffy the girl Buffy versus Buffy the Buffy Slayer. Can't have a normal like life. she feels like she these are two separate people, Buffy the girl and Buffy the Slayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time they're really driving home that point that she has to figure out how to reconcile those two people within herself. Yeah. And I think this is a big episode in Buffy and Giles' relationship because at the beginning he's like, "No, you have to be a slayer. You can't you can't date. You have to be a slayer. Slayer, slayer, slayer." And she's like, no, I want to date. I want to be girl. And at the end, she's like, man, maybe I should take my Slayer duties more seriously. And he's like, dude, but you should totally get to have a social life, too. <laughs> so, like, it's about the progression of their relationship, yeah. too. Yeah. Because she saves him. and So, um, enjoyability, I give it uh, a four. Because I like this episode overall, uh, despite Owen being the worst. Capital do, capital W, capital O, capital R, capital S, capital T. Or... You have to write these things down. What? Oh. Five by five. Uh, four by... And then clarity of message. Um... I don't you can do points too. Maybe then you have to get out a calculator. But I mean, if you want to give it like a three point two or whatever, you can do that. It's allowed. Why would I have to get out a calculator? A calculator. Okay, you wouldn't. Why would I have to get out a calculator? I would have to get out a calculator. Oh, because you multiply them. Yes. By each other for well, the total score. Why would you need a calculator for that? Because you can't do multiplication longhand. I had trouble earlier because my <laughs> answer was four and three. You don't know what four times three is. I did, but then I second-guessed myself, and I went back. No shame. I will not shame you. That is kind of bad. I won't shame you. You don't remember doing the chart when you were a kid? When you had the the numbers going down both sides, and you multiplied them in each other? Yes, but that doesn't mean you remember it. Yeah. Okay, so you You give it a four. What is your second score? (laughs) Um, Math sucks. (laughs) <laughs> Math's cool. Uh, the clarity. Uh, I'm. I'm just gonna give it a two because obviously I. I didn't. You didn't get the. Message. I didn't get the message that you got. Mm-hmm. I thought they were just trying to be like kind of sexist and be like high school girls, boy crazy, <laughs> and you know. What did you think about when Owen? Owen was a little bit sexist whenever he was like, I think girls are frivolous. That's why I don't Yeah, he was was kind of a jerk. He was a big jerk. He was a little bit of jerk face. Big jerk. What about Xander, who was also a big jerk, whenever he was trying to see Buffy changing in the mirror? Yeah, And he's 26, mind you. Exactly. (laughs) And she's 18. Well, I mean, I'm sure she wasn't actually changing. She was putting on panties or something. I mean, like, the actress in the scene. (laughs) And then how he's pulling Owen aside. And And telling him not even to look at her. Yeah. Just don't even look at her. She doesn't like to (laughs) dance. She doesn't like to be touched. Don't look at her. (laughs) Yeah, Xander is too... I mean, but he's a necessary character, I guess. 
I just wish but, that he was more of what I thought he was when I first watched the show. Yeah. You know, because I had such a crush on him at first, and I just he thought he was so Well, that's sweet. because he just reminded you of me. <laughs> and... <laughs> but he's not actually sweet. Okay, so what's your clarity of message? Two. Two. Oh, right. Okay. So four times two. I don't know. What is four times two? Eight. <laughs> I know that one. All right. Any final thoughts about this episode? Um, I still feel that Giles isn't getting, like, they're not fleshing him out yet. Yeah, that whole thing about him at the end, you might have been distracted because we were counting how many times Marty Knox yeah. walked by in yeah, the yeah, background. Yeah. Ten. Yeah. Ten times. Ten times. Lady, like, they should have cha- made her change her jacket. I know, like, wearing a bright red down. plaid. Well, sometimes she didn't have the purse. The purse sometimes like she had the purse on a different arm. The purse was hot pink clear <laughs> vinyl, okay? That shit was ridiculous. <laughs> she walked by ten times. Like going this way, then back that way, then up the stairs, then down the stairs, and then she's over there, and then like she's standing in front of the billboard. <laughs> like, this chick did not know where she was supposed to be. So, while we were counting her in the background, you probably missed that whole touching conversation between Giles and Bobby oh, no. at the end. No, I was kind of there. But he was saying something that was really weird that they never really talk about again. Something about, like, the Watcher thing being, like, hereditary or something. Like, how his dad was a Watcher and his grandma was a Watcher and his dad, like, took him aside one day and told him that he would be a Watcher, too. But I always had the impression that the the whole Watcher thing was just sort of a chosen profession. I think they were... Just kind of... But they didn't know what the fuck was going yeah. on, apparently, at that point. It was only the fifth episode, so... Yeah. Give him a break. And how he wanted to be a fighter pilot. Or a grocer. He wasn't sure. <laughs> wasn't sure. <laughs> okay. That's all I got. That's all you got? Yeah. All right. It was... It was an episode of it a TV show. an episode of a TV <laughs> show. I think it was important... To the narrative of mm-hmm. Buffy's, her first attempt at dating a normie, which never goes well. A normie? A normie. So, um, I guess that's it for our analysis of Never Kill a Boy on the first date. If you would like. Yeah, you should never do that. If you would like to um, talk about this episode, you can tweet me, Mixtress Ray. You can email me, mixtressradio at gmail.com. Um, can go to my website, mixtressray.com, and there's all kinds of other links on there and shit. And I have no way to be contacted. You don't? Except, yeah. except by, uh... You don't have a Twitter? Like, well, you That's can... That's what people do. Tw- people do Twitter. You can mail it to me. You're gonna give out our <laughs> write, address? Write me a letter. You're gonna give out <laughs> our, our physical address? You wanna talk about it? No, no thank you. <laughs> If you have anything to say to Michael, you can just tell it to me, and I will relay the message badly. I don't Twitter. I don't tweet. You don't. So, you no. don't Twitter. No, I started a Twitter, and then you know who has time for all that? 
I know, exactly. Who has time for all of it? That's why I'm not a podcast sensation, because I don't keep up with all this shit. You have to, like, actually be nice to people that listen to you and shit. I have time for all that. And it's really hard to do that. Life is so much. It's much. And why add to it? That's what I say. It's my quote of the night. You can quote me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If the apocalypse comes... Beat me. Beat me. (laughs) Bye. Bye.